Hey, it is wonderful to be able to worship with you this morning. It is Easter Sunday. And he is risen, and in church tradition, the response is he is risen indeed. So he has risen. Awesome. And uh, if you're new or visiting with us, you've got no idea what that was about, but that's okay, because we're going to spend some time this morning having a look at the truth and the hope that we have as followers of Jesus. And I'm going to open the Scriptures and explore a, li- a few of the ideas that we heard presented in the video this morning. If you've been with us throughout all of Easter, right from, excuse me, last Sunday, We've been looking at a a different video, and it's from a series called The Beautiful Empty. The Beautiful Empty. And it explores the reality that we celebrate on Easter Sunday. But it explored everything that happened up to that moment, from the celebration of Jesus entering Jerusalem for that last time. And it also celebrated the meal that he shared with his disciples for the last time. It looked at the sacrifice that Jesus made on that Good Friday. But of course, today, we look at the empty tomb and all that it means. Now, who here likes chocolate Easter eggs? Anyone who didn't have up their hand is a liar, liar, pants on fire? Because I didn't say what type of chocolate, so you might say, I don't like milk chocolate, but I love white chocolate eggs. We have a daughter that only eats white chocolate. Do you know how hard they are to find the week before Easter? So I was clever. I picked them up the first moment they went on special this year, first time, but I'm I'm super proud of that achievement this year. Uh, So she'll have some to find, um, which is awesome. But that's a digression. One of the things that... I find most disappointing about Easter eggs is that they are hollow. Most of them anyway. You've got the little chocolate ones which barely feel like they count because you you eat 10 of them. Well, I do. We've talked about this before. You eat 10 of these chocolate little eggs. You barely notice until you've got a pile of foil in your hand and you realize that's half a block of chocolate right there, Josh. Simmer down. But you you buy the big ones. And the thing that I struggle with about buying Easter eggs is when you see the ticket in um, in the shops, it's got there invariably underneath it how many, like how much it is per 100 grams of chocolate, doesn't it? And I cannot look past that. I don't know if it's something, that, a genetic disposition within me or something, but I don't know. Is that something that you guys do? And so you notice when they put the Easter eggs out, they don't put the Easter eggs next to the rest of the confectionery chocolate. Why? Because they know you'll compare them. Because the Easter egg chocolate invariably is about sort of, I think they're about $5 for one of the, um, for like an, a hollow Easter egg you get about 110 grams of chocolate. And did you know that a block of chocolate, which is about 180 grams, is also $5? And so my parents, growing up, well, actually, I was was far beyond me growing up. I was in my teens at least, when my dad started giving me Ikea Easter eggs, because he can't look past that little line either. So he started buying me Ikea Easter eggs. 
And you go, what's an Ikea Easter egg? Do they even sell Easter eggs? Is it Swedish chocolate? What's the go? He said, no, no, they're flat packed. (laughs) Flat packed Easter eggs. And you get to construct them yourself or not and just eat it, whatever you want to do. But it's, it's a funny thing, isn't it? But as I talked about in that video, that... That idea of something being empty is a reality in our culture, which is most predominantly, it's a negative thing. And I think when it comes to chocolate Easter eggs, it's also negative. Because they could have filled it, but they didn't. And the thing about empty is that it carries all sorts of challenges for us. So when it comes to looking at what we're talking about this morning... It seems a little bit strange that we would say that an empty tomb has a, is a positive thing. Because empty is a negative thing in most other cases. We have, when we have an empty fuel tank, we're in strife, call the RAA. You know, if we've got an empty bank account, means the, sh- the shopping doesn't get bought this week. And even if we've got an empty house and the kids have moved out of home, that often feels like an empty thing. Or it... This time of year or Christmas, there's often an empty chair at the table from someone that we might have lost, a loved one. All of those things are a challenge. They illustrate something of the brokenness of our life in some ways. And so how is it then that we can speak of an empty tomb yet be joyous about it? What is, what is that about? And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time exploring with you today, is why this empty tomb is so significant for us. And the passage that I wanted to begin with is one of the gospel narratives, one of the four narratives of Jesus' life and ministry that we find in the Bible. We're headed to Luke chapter 24, and it should appear on the screen if you've got a Bible with you or you want to pick up the Pew Bible, you're welcome to follow along, but it will be on the screen. So we're in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and they went to the tomb. And they found that the stone, a stone that had been rolled across the entrance to the tomb, presumably to prevent, well, it was in the ancient world, was largely to prevent not just grave robbers and things like that, but also to prevent wild animals and things like that from from going and, and frankly, stealing the body. And so so a a stone had been rolled across. And if we read one of the other narratives of this event, it says that there were soldiers out the front of the tomb as well, guarding it because it had been such a political um, crucible around Jesus' death and crucifixion that there were soldiers involved in in this. And so presumably the women are going to the tomb, not able to physically roll the stone away themselves, but hopefully appealing to the soldiers that were there perhaps to roll the stone away on their behalf so that they might anoint Jesus' body after it had been buried. Normally a Jewish rite would be that they would anoint it before it was buried. Didn't have a chance on Good Friday. It was all in a rush and so... This was what they were hoping to achieve. But they get there, and the stone has already been rolled away. And then they entered, presuming who's rolled away, I don't know, maybe they did, something's happened. And they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. It was, the tomb was empty. 
And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleaned like lightning stood beside them. Angels, so we understand it. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified and on the third day be raised again. And it was then that they remembered his words. It was only in that moment, once reminded, they, went, they thought, oh yeah, Jesus did say something about all of this. And so we left this morning with an empty tomb. Something that Jesus ultimately said would happen, but something that still leaves us wondering, what's the significance of all of this? And I think the first thing we need to understand about the significance of the empty tomb is that for you and I, as human beings in the world, we are born empty. The empty tomb is significant, firstly, because we are born empty. We're born with nothing, absolutely starkers, if we're going to be real about it. You and I, I wasn't wearing any clothes, were you? No. Thank God we're wearing some now. But we enter this world with nothing. We enter this world completely empty. Yet also, not just physically empty, we enter this world spiritually empty. The scriptures talk about the idea of us as human beings being separated from God. That right from the beginning of our life, there is an emptiness that sits within each of us that is, in a sense, the separation, the lack of a relationship with the very being that created us. And that being, we believe, as Christians, is God. That you and I, we were created Indeed, when we were born, we find ourselves with an emptiness in our very being, a whole, an absence of a meaningful relationship with God. In Romans 3.23, the Apostle Paul, who, if I had longer, I would tell you more about him and his life, but he began persecuting the early church and then encountered the risen Jesus and had a radical transformation. Story for another day. But he writes it like this, when he's reflecting on the nature of the human condition, he, he writes that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. That is, there's no difference between those that were a part of God's, God's chosen nation early on in, in the Scriptures and, and those that are, have come into the faith later on. There's no difference between all of us. There's no difference between any human being in all of creation. Why are we all equal? We're all equal, it says, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what makes you and I equal. 
He said, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And what he's talking about is God's glorious standard for our life. And you might say to me, Josh, well, I'm not that bad. I read my Bible most of the time. Or I try and be nice to people. I give some money to, the, to the, a few of the homeless folks around town. And, and I try and be generous when I can. And, and I pay my taxes. And surely... I'm not included in that, am I? And my question to you would be, how, what's the, what does the grade need to be to be okay with God in this life? Is it a C plus? That got me through school. Fortunately, my college and uni grades were far better than that. How good do you need to be to be good enough to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. I ask you, how good do you and I need to be? And the answer is that we cannot be good enough. That for just one misstep from God's glorious standard is enough to see us condemned. Why? Because God has a perfect justice. God is holy. He is so different to us that anything that we might do which is inconsistent with His character makes our relationship with Him, impossible. And so there's none of us. Paul says all of us sin, because we all have. We sin and we fall short of God's glory. And that sin, which I've coined a phrase which I find helpful in this era of the world, because we don't like talking about sin, because it's offensive. But I find the most helpful way to describe sin in our age is selfishness in our nature. Now, it's far more complicated than that, but it's an interesting way to think about it. That sin, selfishness, in our nature. It's even an anagram, which is fun. As a preacher, it's got it's to do something like that, something creative. But it's helpful to understand. Why? Because sin is ultimately the barrier between us and God. And that sin is us thinking that we are God. Sin is us thinking that we are right all the time. Sin is us thinking that about ourselves all the time and about our benefit and about what we want. And it's that that creates the barrier between us and God. And Paul says we're all equal in that way. We are all empty in that way before God. And so the empty tomb is significant to us firstly because you and I are empty without a relationship with God and that we are all equal in that way. But the second reason that I believe that the empty tomb matters so much is that everything in this life leaves us empty. That we, by having this hole in us that we are trying to fill Look for all sorts of things in this life to try and fill that hole. Don't we? We think of relationships that we might pursue. And if we were to just meet that person and just find that person and just marry that person and just have some kids with that perfect person, then I would be okay. Or if I just got that job which earned that much money, then I would be okay. 
Or if I just got that house with that view, with that many bedrooms and that carport or that garage, then I would be okay. If I just had that many followers on Instagram, then I would be okay. If I just became the best at whatever you might choose, the best sports person I can be, if I just became this or that, if I became the healthiest part of myself, or here's one, if I just got down to dot, dot, dot on the scales. I know that's a raw one at this time of year because we're still recovering from Christmas, let's be real. If I just, I would be okay. If I could just talk to my kids again, I'd be okay. If I could just, I don't know what that story is for you. But this, the reality of it is the same. That for you and I, we try everything we know how to try to fill that God-shaped hole in us. The one that is empty because of the absence of a relationship with our Creator. The presence of sin in our life. And we try 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 to fill it and nothing works. Because that hole is designed to be filled by one person alone. Just one and nothing else will fit. Like trying to cram a round peg in a square hole. or It just doesn't fit. Or if it does fit, it doesn't fit for very long. Because we can have the endorphin rush of achieving that which we would hope to achieve in this life. Or having get, finally getting that relationship. She finally says yes. Or I finally achieve that. Finally get rich. Whatever that endorphin rush is, how long does it last before that is not enough? How long are you the best until someone else is better? Everything, 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 everything in this created life is what we try to fill that emptiness with. And friends, none of it fits. Not one thing. For there is only one that can truly fit into it. There's an ancient writing from Ecclesiastes that says this so beautifully. King Solomon, whom Scriptures teaches us, was perhaps the richest being richest human being to have lived, certainly in in Israel's history, but perhaps across the world. I don't know. I didn't see his bank account. But he talks about in his writings, wisdom writings in Ecclesiastes, he talks about his wealth and his opulence and his influence and his capacity as the king of a nation and wealthier than any other nation at that time in the world. And he says this in verse 10. He says, I denied myself nothing in my eyes, that I desired. So I I gained everything that I want. I did not say no to myself in any way whatsoever, because he had the means to do so. I refused my heart no pleasure that I desired. And my heart took delight in all of my labor. I loved what I did, and I had everything that I could possibly want. And this was the reward for all of my toil. I toiled, and I got whatever I wanted, And I was happy with what I did. Yet, 
talking of the human condition, he reflects on it, it's true of all of us. He says, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Another way to translate that is empty. When I looked around at everything, all I have achieved, all I had gathered to myself, this king of a nation, wealthy and wise, says, I look at it all and it's empty, meaningless, a chasing after the wind. That's an interesting statement. Nothing was gained under the sun. After all that he had done to fill his life, he reflects that all of it was worth nothing in the end because he can't keep it when he goes and it left him with nothing, no feeling. And he goes on to say later on, that amid there being toil that is meaningless in his life, it's a pretty bleak book in the Bible, really, Ecclesiastes, yet it finishes with proclaiming a reality that but with God, there is something worth having. And I think that is absolutely true for us. And perhaps this era of the life is the most vivid that we've experienced this emptiness in an age. The word that I have coined for how things are is the word chaotic. Chaotic. Does anyone relate to that? It's, it's the best way I can describe what's going on where you feel like everything is just a little bit out of control. Nothing is fully out of control, necessarily. Some things can be, and it might be your story. But everything's just a little bit out of control. And there's chaos and I believe that that chaos ultimately comes from us trying to fill the emptiness in our heart with anything that we find in this world. So it could be for you this morning, you came here feeling chaotic, feeling like the world is just, oh, it's just too much. Maybe the empty tomb for you this morning is there to remind you or even to show you for the first time that to alleviate the chaos is not to just find another hobby or to find another thing to strive for. Friends, there is only one thing that can fill the hole that breeds that chaos in your life. And that hole is Jesus. So we are born, and indeed we are all equally empty, and we all try and fill that emptiness with the stuff of this life, and it leaves us with nothing but chaos and another hole. And so the third thing we need to understand is that the empty tomb points to the truth that Jesus emptied himself to fill that whole, that Jesus emptied himself to fill the Jesus-shaped hole in our life, because God chose to do something about our emptiness. He chose to do something to make a difference. He, he saw the plight of humanity, and he chose to do something to help. He chose 
to send his son, Jesus Christ. And in, first, sorry, in John chapter 1, the gospel talks about Jesus coming to earth. And, he, and it says, it says that the word, that is Jesus, the word is in that being that was at the beginning with God, the word became flesh, flesh and blood, just like me, you and me, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God did something to alleviate the emptiness in our life. He sent his Son, Jesus. And Jesus was full of two things. He was full of grace and he was full of truth. Why both? Why does it matter? Well, he was, he's full of grace because he is a gift to us. Jesus proclaimed of himself that the, that the enemy, that is anything that opposes the will of God in the world, just is here to kill and steal and destroy. In John chapter 10, he talks about this. But he says, but I have come. That they, that is humanity, all of creation may have life and may have it abundantly or to its fullest. The opposite of empty, full. That was Jesus' purpose. That was what he came to do, to give a life of fullness. That was grace, fullness of grace. But he also came with the fullness of truth. And this is the, we like the Jesus of grace, but we struggle with the Jesus of truth. And that truth Quite simply, we read further on in John's gospel, John chapter 14. The truth is simply this. Jesus said in verse 6 of John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Now, this is the truth that presses against the narrative of our age. I was talking to a lady earlier in the week and she, she loves my... I did an article in the Bunyip, um, a part of the Easter features here for the local newspaper here. And she said, I'm sort of a Christian and I loved your article in the Bunyip. That's what I asked. I asked it... What is, I'd said it respectfully, but frankly, I said, what does that mean? What is a sort of Christian? And, and she said, well, I just believe that there's a, a bunch of different ways to get to God. I just believe that Jesus is just one of the many ways that exist in all of creation for us to have a relationship with God. And I've got to tell you that if we believe anything in this collection of ancient Scriptures. If we believe that the resurrection is true, if we believe that Jesus existed at all, if we believe anything that is written in here, then we need to equally believe Jesus' declaration right here, a declaration of truth that says, not I am a way. It's a present indicative now, and it says, I am the way, 
the truth, not a truth, the truth, and I am the life, not a life, not an option for life, not a way to experience life. I am the life, the only thing that can fill the emptiness in our souls, the gap. It is Jesus. No one comes to the Father, not most of you or every second person if you get a C+. No, it is no one comes to the Father. No one can get to God except through me. Interesting fact, Jesus is the only religious leader in any religion you will find that claims that he alone is the way to God. That is the only person who ever makes that claim. You won't find it in Islam. You won't find it in Buddhism. You won't find it in Hinduism. You won't find it in any other religion. Only one person claimed to be the only way to God, and that was Jesus of Nazareth. He came with the fullness of grace. Grace, I come that you might have life of fullness. But he came with the fullness of truth. I am the only way that you can get to God. I'm the only way that you will fill that hole. And so what did Jesus do? He came and he emptied himself. He didn't just teach us. He wasn't just a a great philosopher and a great moral teacher, although history claims that that is absolutely true. No historian worth their salt denies that Jesus of Nazareth, the rabbi, existed. It is absolutely proven. What we need to decide is what we do with the next bit. And in Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul again writes about what Jesus did. He said, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And this is what he did. He said, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Friends, God recognized the emptiness in us, and he sent his son to empty himself for us. And on this resurrection Sunday, On this Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate a simple truth, that Jesus emptied himself to save us from a life of emptiness and an empty death. And friends, a wonderful reality for whatever it is that you've been going through, Whatever it is that you have brought, whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you are not, we each bring a level of emptiness to this place today. A level of emptiness that we've been trying to fill our life, we've been trying to do the right stuff. And friends, right through Scripture, there are folks that came to Jesus trying to fill their life with this or that. 
And each one, Jesus challenged in a different way as to how he came to fill their emptiness and nothing else. And so, friends, for you this morning, whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're not, you're not I believe you are here today on purpose for God to have a divine encounter with you and show you how he is filling. He is the only one who can fill the empty spots in your life. And that whether we like it or not, we don't look to God to fill ourselves all the time. We still try. I'm a pastor and I still try to fill my, that hole with other things sometimes. And so whatever emptiness you've been trying to fill this morning, the truth of the empty tomb is there to show us that Jesus emptied himself so that we might be filled and that an empty tomb can fill an empty life, that an empty tomb can fill an empty life. And Peter, the guy that was with Jesus that morning, or was with, I should say, was with Mary and there at the tomb that morning, wrote this. In one of his ancient letters to the early church, he said, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, that you were saved, that you were set free from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. An empty tomb can fill an empty life. We celebrate that empty tomb this morning as a church, as a church globally. We are some of the first people in the world that get to celebrate the empty tomb. Think about the time zones. Our friends in the States don't celebrate it till way later than we do. What an amazing gift that we get to be some of the first in all of this world to celebrate the truth that Jesus is alive. And so the good news is that the empty tomb can bring you new hope. It can bring you new peace. It can bring you new joy. And it can bring you into an experience of love like you might never have felt in the places that are empty in your life. So my prayer for you this morning invite the band back up as we finish. My prayer for you this morning is that each of you would, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you would be reminded afresh of the way, the, of the way Christ emptied himself so that you may be filled again. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're just trying to figure this whole faith thing out and you However it is you came to be here today, my prayer for you is that you would discover 
for the first time, not just in here, but in here, that Jesus, the Son of the living God, emptied himself for you. It cost him everything. But by doing that, he gave you a gift, a gift of new life, a gift that will set you free from striving to fill that emptiness with whatever you can find, a chasing after the wind. And it might just be that today is the opportunity that you have been, didn't even know that you were waiting for, to find new life, to fill that hole. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and then we're going to stand and sing together to finish our service. So why don't you pray with me, church? Our loving and gracious God, I thank you for the gift of the empty tomb. We will never truly know how much that cost you. The one that was by very nature God in human flesh, separated from God for the first time in all of eternity to pay the debt of our sin. But Lord, we are grateful for that gift. Help us to receive that gift today, perhaps for the first time, that we might walk from here with a a lightness of spirit like we have never known was possible. For you said, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. You said, for your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Help us to experience that afresh this day. That we might walk in the light that you offer for us. So Lord, we give you thanks and praise that the tomb is empty. And that whilst you gave your life, you also raised, you were also raised to life. So that we might find life to the fullest as well. Thank you, Jesus. We celebrate this day. The tomb is empty. Thanks be to God. Amen.